With Father's Day right around the corner, what do you give to the man who has everything? Easy. You give him an experience he'll never forget. You give him Omaha Steaks because a world-class dad deserves a world-class steak. The Father's Day experts at Omaha Steaks have made it easy to put a smile on the big guy's face this summer with hand-selected gift packages starting at just $89. Just go to omahasteaks.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout for an additional discount when you shop gourmet gift packages for Father's Day. With Omaha Steaks, the possibilities are endless. Endless flavor, endless variety, and endless value. Truly, they have perfected more than just steak. Your dad is guaranteed to love every bite. Go to omahasteaks.com, use the promo code BLUEWIRE to get an exclusive savings. Shop for unforgettable gifts that are guaranteed to make dad's day. Because if there's one thing that Omaha Steaks knows, it's the dads want steak. That's omahasteaks.com, promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to save on exclusive packages starting at just $89. And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Bench with Bubba, episode 54. Going to talk some MLB prospects. Going to talk fall league, September call-ups, rookie ball, the works. And in order to do that, I had to bring in one of the, the top guys that I listen to and get information from. You can find him on Twitter at IsItTheWelsh. Uh, in this league podcast, in this league.com. He's everywhere. FNTSY on Wednesdays. Uh, Chris, how are we doing tonight? What's up, dude? I'm actually in probably too many places. That's where, like, you're going to get to the point where it's like, eh, a little oversaturated. I'm a little bit everywhere, but thank you for the nice comments. No, no problem. I don't know how you do it. I, I'm, I'm envious. Um, I wish I could do this a, a lot, but I know how much it wears on me. So I don't know how you do it between football, baseball. You guys do basketball. You do it all. So. Pretty awesome stuff you have going on over there at inthisleague.com. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's 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 a lot. I mean, literally, we were joking. I just got done with two recordings as uh, as we came on here, but you know, you just grind, man. You just you got to grind it. Yeah, and you're you're doing it, man. Because when I, I first started listening to you guys, you guys were you know just kind of starting going, and now you guys you're on FNTSY and everywhere, so it's working. Good stuff. Yeah, thank you. Thank uh, you. If you guys haven't listened to his Prospect One podcast, he does it by himself a lot. Then he also has like Jim Callis on, and one of his good buddies is James Anderson from Rotowire, who's another guy I've followed for quite a while. So yeah, please check that out if you're into prospects. It's all there. And um, Chris lives in the Arizona area, so this is why he's very, very keen on some of the things we're going to talk about. But first, we'll start with September call-ups. Um, some are relevant. Some you know, are just there to kind of fill spots. Let's look at a couple of the main ones, like the Cardinals earlier in August, they called up uh, Weaver, one of their stud pitchers, but now they called up Jack Flaherty, who skyrocketed through the minors this year. What's your outtake like long-term on Jack Flaherty? Is he worth um, you know grinding on? Or He got blown up his first start, but he's a rookie, so what do you expect? Yeah, no, I'm a big, big Jack Flaherty guy. He has been, there's been like a couple pitchers this year that, you know, their, their perceived value changed in season by results chance adams with the yankees was one of those but flaherty's numbers have just been killer he's been amazing good strikeout guy good command on the ball he did this really good interview if people you know we're talking all types of podcasts here i'm not so relative to just what i do i would appreciate anybody that checks out prospect one but i believe it was the mlb pipeline show with uh dykstra and i just can't remember it off my head but they did an interview with Flaherty early in the season, and it was it was a really good interview. It was enjoyable to hear him kind of talk about the game. He's a really cool prospect too because he's he's in line with a bunch of other guys. His I don't know if you know about this. 
his high school baseball team was Flaherty, Lucas Giolito, and Max Fried. Like, that's stupid. I wish I was a part of that team. What I think from a fantasy perspective, if people mm -hmm. are looking at this season, I love that he got blown up in the first game because people might have cut bait if you're in redraft. I think his next start, we did this on our ITL Fantasy Baseball podcast. I think he's going against the Padres, and that's a killer matchup. Uh, whichever it was, it was a great matchup. But this year, I'm in on him, even if it's three or four starts long term. I don't know, man. I think Flaherty could be one of those guys that's up top there with Martinez. I mean, he's probably got the ceiling of an SB2, realistic SP3. He's a he's a good buy that anybody got in on him this year. Yeah, I, I know in my season longs, I sniped him up the second the word came out, and half my leagues don't really pay attention to prospects. And like, who is this Flaherty guy? So just watch, just watch, trust me. Yep. But um, you mentioned Martinez, he could be a two. Um, they have a good young thing going there in St. Louis, as they always do. They seem to just have a plethora of prospects. Um, how do you compare Flaherty to Weaver? Which one do you think has the bigger upside in long term? That's, that's a really great question. Weaver, the Cardinals, I mean, you kind of nailed it. What the Cardinals do is they just churn out good prospects. They're usually never these, like, you know, elite. You know, you don't you see, like, the Clayton Kershaws jump out, but they'll put out guys that are going to give fantasy value all season long. They did it with Carlos Martinez. You know, they've done it with a handful of guys. I got a hard time with some of the prospects they have right now. You get Sandy Alcantara. We know we're going to talk about Flaherty, Luke Weaver. They've got a bunch of other guys that are down in the system. If I had to pick one right now, it's Flaherty for me. Even I mean, this is saying like Luke Weaver just came off of multi-double-digit strikeout games. He has been really good. But if you're talking, talking about projectables into the future, I would go Flaherty, Weaver, and then probably... I, Sandy Alcantara is a really divisive one for me this year. We're going to talk about him probably in a couple different areas. But there's a lot I need to see if I believe he's going to be a starting pitcher, but I think you're, you're safer. Weaver and Flaherty will be in the rotation next year. I feel relatively confident about that. Yeah. Um, speaking of Sandy Alcantara, that was another one of the call-ups they had. It looks like he's going to be primarily out of the bullpen, which we'll see from a lot of these younger guys in, in September call-ups. What's the way they're, they're talking him up is he's, you know, he's got a hard thrower. He's got the, the nastiness, but what's, what's he have? You think long-term he said more of a bullpen arm than a starter. That's what a lot of the projectables are on him. Um, they have another guy that is not being talked about because, you know, his just peripherals haven't been good. His name is Junior Fernandez. And last year, Alc Alcantara and Fernandez were kind of like the two guys together. And the year before that, it was like, well, you know, Fernandez can be the bullpen guy. Alcantara will be the starter. Then it switched. And then it switched again. I think at the end of the day, both of those guys are going to be bullpen guys. I'm banking that they're going to give an opportunity to Alcantara. His stuff is great. It's top-end stuff. I've had some guys, we have this insider program, ITL Army, that went out and saw him, took pictures. You know, he, he, he throws them at high levels. It's just continuing the command, continuing the pitches, finding success. It's, there's a difference, and you know this, there's a difference between throwing and pitching. And sometimes with guys like this, there's a lot more throwing. So people get excited about him because they're like, Oh, well, Hey, look, you know, he has all the material to be a great pitcher. It's just, will he put it together? If he doesn't, he'll probably be a ninth inning guy. So if you're talking from the fantasy perspective, this fantasy value one way or the other, it's just which way will he sling? He's looks like he's going to get, you know, a little bit of an opportunity here in the majors and he is being sent out here to the Arizona fall league. And I think those are going to play some big roles in what we see from him from the future, but I would proceed cautiously. He was a top 100 prospect for me 
from the fantasy perspective coming into the season. He's jumped out of it, but you know, a good run at the end of the year and a fall league could maybe change my mind. Yeah, you look at his stats this year, like you said, just peripheral wise, he has you know struggled a bit in uh, in double A, and that's why it was also kind of it wasn't like shocking, but it was surprising that he made the jump on the call ups. But it, like you said, between this and the fall league, it's a good you know kind of measuring stick for the Cardinals to see where they go in spring with him, where they do, do they go back and stretch him out or do they put him in the pen, stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see how he does develop, as you said. One last Cardinal I wanted to mention, and I've heard you drool over this guy at times, but um, Harrison Bader, he was up for a little cup of coffee earlier. He's back now. Hopefully he gets some time. He's been kind of splitting it with Fowler, getting his rest and everything. What? Just tell the people what you love about Harrison Bader. Lord Bader, Lord Bader. Yeah, I like I like Harrison Bader. He's like the classic Cardinals guy. That's what I'm talking about. He's not sexy. Yeah, he's just yeah. He's just, that's exactly right. He's like, I mean, Holiday was one of the bigger guys, but he wasn't a Cardinals prospect. He was a Rockies guy. But like, you know, he he's not going to overwhelm. And I think a lot of people, most people, didn't have him in the top 100. He set up my top 100. I remember a couple guys when I did like my very very first initial. I started at top 150 fantasy prospects. I'm up over, well, I list 450 now, uh, but I, I'm above that. I had a, I had Bader really high and people were like, why are you so high on him? I said, dude, he's just going to put the bat on the ball. He's going to get homers. He, he can steal a few bases. And I think his bat plays the Cardinals. There's a lot of, they've had a lot of positional issues to get him out there, but some of that that's fixed itself. You know, I mean, uh, Gritchick has not been that great. You know, Fowler has been fine. They're not going to lose him. And Tommy Pham has been legit. Bader is like 270, 20 plus homers, middle of the order, uh, middle of the lineup, like five, six batter. He's not super sexy, but he's just going to get it done. I just like him. I think, and, and he grows and he's continuously been good. He was good in the Arizona Fall League last year. He's just the least talked about prospect that um, is going to get you value. Yeah, that whole description of Bader right there, it basically has, if you opened his wallet, it'd be a card-carrying member of a St. Louis Cardinals team. It, just, it was the perfect <laughs> exactly. description of him, 270, 20 homers, doesn't do much, but he's there. And yeah, that's ridiculous. And they win. Um, yeah. Let's stick in the Midwest. We'll go to the Indians, and we can kind of knock him out here for the Fall League top also because I have a – some questions that you've probably answered already. But Francisco Mejia, stud, stud prospect, just torching minor league baseball. First off, he comes up, and today he DH. He finally got to start, which kind of like, you brought the kid up, what are you doing? Second off, we'll just go to the fall league part. They've already said he's going to be a third baseman, which I guess helps with their hole they have there. But what's the plan with him? Because I don't know if he's worth as much as a third baseman as a catcher. Yeah, that was something heavily that um, the most recent prospect one I had James Anderson on, and we covered that. And that's that's my worry. I got some worries about Mejia. I've always been a pretty big fan. His hit tool is just like it's great. It's huge. I mean, he had a fifty game hit streak in the minors a couple of years ago. Three hundred hitter this year. He's just under. He's like in two ninety seven. The problem with him is the peripheral stats. It's like fourteen homers, seven stolen bases. This is in the minor leagues here. But he was a catcher. So it was like, this guy is going to be the best fantasy catcher. Now, they already had a, a, a game or two in the minors uh, leading up to the um, Arizona Fall League announcement where he's played third. And they've already said they're listing him as an infielder for the Arizona Fall League. What they're calling it is position um, flexibility, which totally makes sense. What that probably means, though, is this is a guy that 
They're going to play at third. He's, he's, he's kind of small in stature, which is another problem, 5'10", 180. I wonder if they would ever play around with him possibly playing a second base, you know, with like the issues with Jason Kipnis and the injuries. The end of the day, though, what I think they're doing is they want his bat on the lineup. But will he ever – he doesn't have the stats to be a third baseman. That's a problem. You expect 20, 25 homers, middle of the order type of guy. He's not that. He actually reminds me of like a like a modern day like Jason Kendall. You know, he's like a prototypical number two hitter type of guy. I just don't know if the homers are – like people want to compare looking at stature. Oh, this could be like Altuve. No, it's not. He doesn't steal enough. He's more valuable as a catcher. I just don't think they're going to do that. I, I think, I mean, putting him at DH is just getting the bat in the lineup, and that's the most important thing. Maybe he'll be like a Schwarber. Maybe he'll get, you know, some occasional starts at catcher to keep the eligibility through the years, which would be as valuable as we could possibly want. So I'm hopeful, but I got to see a lot. You know, his stats were good this year. He'll be here in the fall league. He is, I think I even said this on the show, he's like number probably like one through three. He's the top three guy that I need to see this year to kind of make my full determination. Yeah, I'm kind of, when I visualize the Indians, you, you remember back when like they had Carlos Santana catching and then all of a sudden, like, oh, we're moving first. And everyone was kind of like, why? Well, it's worked out very, very well for them. So, and, and at third base, you have Urshela and uh, Yandy Diaz was playing today. Not offensive powerhouses. Better defensively than what, you know, you're going to throw out there with me here right now. But offensively, you add that to the lineup, or like you said, second base, put Jose Ramirez back to third. It does give them the flexibility that makes contending teams dangerous so that is definitely something to look at the end of the day they may just carry him because hey we can play him at third we can dh him we can play him at catcher you know the major league baseball has really turned into like a football version of handcuffing like you know if if you can if you can play two or three positions you're going to get out there more than most people chris owings with the diamondbacks was an example that they didn't even want to play him full-time at shortstop but he could play the outfield spots, you know, so they do that a lot. So if you've got multi-position eligibility, that holds good. And also I would say any catcher, I bump up multiple notches. If a catcher has multi-position eligibility in the majors, because then he's going to have more at bats. We know these catchers are limited to like, you know, 120 games or something like that. But that was a hope with a guy like Kyle Schwarber. Well, he's playing the outfield and he's going to have like 150 games under his belt. I mean, just that's just math. You know, he's going to be one of the most valuable players on the counting stats. You got to perform, which is Kyle Schwarber's problem. But Francisco Mejia has got a lot of the tools. He should be, of all the guys that like we're going to even talk about today, he should be kind of in everybody's mind to try to tune in and watch because, I mean, it, this isn't his entire story, what happens here. But this is a big push to see what type of value we should consider him coming into the next couple seasons. No, that's a great point. And the last thing on this is it makes sense DH also because Edwin's only there for I think it was a two-year deal. So he'll be leaving another year, and that's when Mejia might really be ready to come Absolutely. on the scene. This is a guy I loved. When they made this trade for Liriano, I'm like, what, Houston, really? This kid is good. T. Oscar Hernandez, outfielder. You know, he's he, he's not big because Houston has 75,000 prospects. But um, – I've watched him in Fresno a couple times. He had his little stand in the bigs before he collided with Altuve. I think he's super talented, and for what they got on a market that they did, he could be good, and they're using him almost every day already. What's your thoughts on Hernandez? Yeah, he's interesting. You know, something I try not to do, but it just it happens when you're doing, like, prospect ranking, is you try not to get into a place where you're going to consider the situation that they are 
to be relative to their value. Like take like Candelario with the Cubs. Dude's got lots of talent, great bat, but he could not have been more blocked. And I took that into consideration. T Oscar's another one of those where it just felt like he was going to be blocked forever in Houston. There was no sign out of it. Maybe two or three years down the road when he's caught on with a couple teams, he would get an opportunity, but he was traded. I think it's a guy that you, um, if you're looking at September call-ups for this year, probably a top five ad. You know, I mean, his average hasn't been phenomenal, which you'd like to see a little bit more of in the minors, but he is closed in on, like, had the season extended a little bit more, he could have been a 2020 guy. I mean, if he gets time, if he gets enough at-bats in the majors, if you take his minor league stats, 18 homers, 16 stolen bases, he needs two homers and four stolen bases in the majors to have a 2020 season in 2017. So, yeah, he, he has the peripherals. You want speed guys. Covered that a ton. We had Spore on recently, and that was like a, just a big topic where we've got to start we got to start taking a look at players that are hitting 20 homers. You know, I mean, this kind of comes back to the Harrison Bader conversation and be less impressed. 20 homers is like 12 homers now. You know, are 50 homers the most valuable thing? No, they're not. And then the big question we asked was, would you rather have 50 homers with no stolen bases or five, take for instance, or would you rather have 35 stolen bases with, or 35 homers with 20 stolen bases or 15? You're going to take the speed over it. So guys like Teoscar Hernandez, who can provide you double digit in both, there's going to be value there instead of like, you know, taking like the draw Dysons who are in um, a, you know, a black hole for homers and whatnot. It's just stolen bases that you're getting. This is somebody that covers multiple areas of that. Like a, maybe like a poor man's old school, Carlos Gonzalez type of guy. So Toronto's a good fit for him. So I, I dig T Oscar. Yeah. I love the fit. The ballpark's great. Even though, you know, they, they're not what they were in the past. Their lineup is still potent. If he's leading off, you look at his stats in the minors, he was getting 30 plus steals everywhere. Like year, like you said, and for the numbers this year, he missed almost a month, if not more. So there, there's a lot to like with him. I thought um, you mentioned, you mentioned Candelario with the Tigers. He was one of the call-ups and they're already utilizing him, which I love because I think he, I think it's a good spot in Detroit for him. He was, like he said, he was just blocked in, in Chicago. But the guy I wanted to ask you about was uh, the third member of the David Price trade. Everybody knows, you know, Norris and Boyd, they've already made their, their mark, good or bad. But um, I'm going to butcher this name, but Gyro Labort. Yeah, probably butchered that. He's getting his start, um, a left-handed pitcher. There's some good things being spread around about him. What, what's the story on Gyro? I mean, my familiarity is it's minimal in nature, but I mean, he's a guy that's just moved to the bullpen. I mean, the strikeouts are there. I mean, here's the tough thing with, I haven't seen, is he, he's not starting is he He should be in the bullpen, right? I believe he's in the bullpen. I heard rumors. They might try to start him just because that's what he was doing in the minors. And they, they're in that full rebuild mode right now. So now he did start. He's got 87 starts under his belt but he hasn't started a single game in 2017. It's 45 games pitched, not a single start. So he's been kind of a back-end guy. Yeah. What I would say when you look at him from a fantasy perspective, I mean, close, man, relief pitchers are so tough when we're talking fantasy. If we're just talking real life, there's value there. I would say I've probably got – there's no way I've got more than 10, probably even five, locked down, you know these are relievers, on my top 450 list because they're too unpredictable. You know, a lot of times we're more likely to see high-end starting pitchers move to the bullpen to be a closer. Andrew Miller, for instance. Not so often do we see guys that are locked down to be a relief pitcher 
end up being a back-end guy. We do. We do see it. Of course, some of these guys do that. But a lot of guys start Aroldis Chapman from starting pitching to uh, relieving. So when I look at a guy like this who's a straight reliever, there's an opportunity, I suppose, that you can maybe sneak, sneak some saves. I don't see him starting. I don't see that as an option. If they did, next year he would go back down to the minors, and I think they would stretch him out, and that's a possibility. And if it is, he's a high-end strikeout guy, but we just don't have enough information. But he's a big dude, um, eighty strike, just about 80 strikeouts and 66-inning pitch. Uh, he's had a little bit of a flare in the, in the majors so far, a couple games. So I mean, he's not really on my radar as far as uh, prospect goes for fantasy. One, one thing you said there that was very, very important. Um, when people look at minor league pitchers, like you said, almost all the time, especially in double and below, because those are the ones that even as they develop might turn into the bullpen arms, yeah. not necessarily the guy that's the closer in double A type thing, like you're saying. Yeah, exactly. So that's a very, very, very good point that people overlook a lot. You know, it'd almost be interesting to go do a – I mean, I haven't done it, but it'd be fun to go do like a case study of all, you know, the closers in Major League Baseball and see how many were actually closing in the minors or, you know, how many are actually in relief. Most of them are starting pitchers. I mean, you know, I'm out here in the – I know we're going to talk about it, but I've been in extended spring training and AZL games out here. And starting is relative. Very little guys actually, you know, quote unquote, start a game. Most are coming in for two innings, or sometimes they like to put starters in the back end of it just for the lineup stuff. So in the minors, it's really relative. These guys are working on stuff. Sometimes they have, um, you know, they have a motive that's set to them to say, hey, we want you to throw 80% fastballs this game, or we want you to work on your off speed. That's going to get them end up being hit. So it would be cool to go and see how many guys are actually in a bullpen, specifically a closer that are closing in the major leagues. Cause I got no idea. I mean, the current closer in Detroit is Shane green and he was a starting pitcher forever. So, you know, that's just how it goes. Well, yeah, it's how it works. Just from a Giants fan perspective, and they might not have been great closers, but I know like Brian Wilson was a starter at one point. You go way back to like Joe Nathan was a starter. So that's just a couple, obviously. But you, you know what I'm saying? There's a long list of these things. And, um, yeah, I watch a lot of single-A games. and Most of the guys, they'll throw two, three, four innings max. They're not going out there to stretch out and get it all done. They're working on stuff, like you said. I haven't seen a single pitcher in AZL go more than four innings, and I've seen – some good dudes, and I haven't seen a single one go over four. There might have been one or two that have, but it's it's very rare. Yeah. Here's another guy that he came up earlier, played pretty well, got sent back down because of, I guess, log jam or whatever. I couldn't figure it out when you're the A's or the A's. But Franklin Barreto is extremely talented, obviously. Um, Simeon's in his way. They have Lowry at second. So this year it looks like he's pretty much blocked still. For the future, though, you're pretty high on this guy, aren't you? I'm very high. Yeah, I saw him in the Arizona Fall League and uh, got to talk to him for a couple of minutes. He's a really nice dude. You know, I talk about this on Prospect 1, too, something, you know, a lot of people don't care about, but I'm very much into the perspective of the players, you know, the person, how they interact with media, how they interact with fans, how they interact with, you know, autographs, how, how do they do everything, how do they interact with their teammates. Barreto was one of those guys that he just, he's just a pro all around. He's accommodating to fans accommodating you know he's a good teammate people love being around him a unique thing i got to see was it was the day after the cubs won the world series i went out to surprise in the arizona fall league and the cubs were in town on that team Barreto was playing it was like the cubs a's whoever it was the mesa solar Sox. and as i walked in there's really no one there i go right up to the field and eloy jimenez and franklin Barreto are they're going at uh, batting practice and they're just 
slugging them, and they're just having a great time, and Eli's having a great time with Franklin Barreto. So it doesn't matter to fantasy or anything like that, but from a perspective of looking at these players, you got to like. The A's think really, really highly of Franklin Barreto. The season's it's kind of tapered a tiny bit, but, you know, I'm 290. This is another one of those guys, double-digit homers and stolen bases, 15 across both boards. His strikeouts are a problem. That's a major problem, but they think very highly of him, but I think they're going to slow roll a little bit. I wouldn't worry about stats you get right now. He would be a September call-up I would speculate on, even though you know he hasn't really done enough to warrant it, just hitting under 200. But next year, this is a guy, if given the opportunity, I think they're going to give him an opportunity to win a spot uh, on that team. And if he does it, he's a guy that I want to own, especially if they bat him high in the lineup. If he could be batting like, I don't know, he's not a leadoff hitter, but if he could be batting two, man, that would be good because you send him on the bases, A's, get them running. He... um I mean, he doesn't walk enough, which is a little anti-A. So I guess at the end of the day, I wouldn't be shocked even if he was ever a trade piece. But I don't know. They think really highly of him. He was like a big topic of conversation during like the June-July call-ups where they were like, eh, cool your Jets. Barreto will be here when he's ready. And I think he's worked through a lot of that. So uh, 2018 should be, uh, I don't know, over under like 300 at-bats, 350, I think, in the majors next year. Okay. One that got called up was they, – they announced it Thursday and called it Friday – Alex Verdugo of the Dodgers is, in my opinion, one of the he's, – he's the next – well, Cody Bellinger was their beast, but this guy's pretty darn good. Uh, good power-hitting outfielder. What's your thoughts on Verdugo? Verdugo is – that's funny you bring him up. If I – like, you know, when you do this stuff, whether any type of ranking, you're right about stuff, you're wrong about stuff. If I was wrong about somebody, it was definitely Alex Verdugo. And some of it might have been positioned by some of the Arizona Fall League stuff. He had almost single-handedly the worst Arizona Fall League last year. And to be fair, you know, people should understand, like, this is in October and November. These guys are tired, and it, it definitely holds true. But take a guy like Cody Bellinger, who was the best out here. He was ridiculous. Verdugo had a worse batting average than Tim Tebow when he was out here. Verdugo was also sent home when he was out here. And there was, there was some chatter. There was some stuff. But... Verdugo has had an amazing season. Again, plug and pipeline again. I think he did an interview with them. I've seen some other interviews out there. I think he humbled. I think last year humbled him. His stats were okay last year. Arizona Fall League experience, not good. It wasn't good at all. I think he was really humbled. He was invited uh, into uh, spring training. He was out here. He made good. He was good buddies with uh, Willie Calhoun out here. And I think he just turned it around. Hit 314 this year. Counting stats were not amazing. So if we look at it from a fantasy perspective, I'm not like, he's not top 30 to me because I think he could be, I'm just throwing out a comparison here and this is, it's probably not necessarily fair, but he might be like Melky Cabrera. And Melky's fine, good average, but you know, under 15 homers, under 15 stolen bases. I think Verdugo could be a table setter for this team, but that does it. Maybe he'll be high runs, good average, but he's not, he's just a, a low end stuff and things type of guy. Not sure he'll ever be great at like any one category, but I mean, the dude walked more than he struck out in AAA. So he, there's tons of value there. Don't take what I'm saying as he's not a player to own. He absolutely is. He's a top 50 fantasy player. I'm just a tiny bit tapered. And uh, we'll just get a little, we're going to get a little taste of him this season. Next year, we'll see what type of opportunity he really gets. So he's the, he could be the Dodgers' new Andre Ethier, you're saying. That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I mean, maybe, maybe even a better average. I mean, I, I'm just, it just happenstance. Like we're talking about multiple guys. I don't mean to keep repeating this, but like Verdugo is like a number two or a leadoff type of hitter. He 
walks. He can get on base, table setter for, you know, guys like if Puig is still there or Cody Bellinger, he's the perfect guy to hit at the top of the lineup. So there's value there. I just, if you're looking for a player that you think is going to get 25 stolen bases and 20 homers while hitting 300 and, you know, 80 plus runs in RBIs, I don't think this is that player. But I do think he'll help in average. I think he'll help in runs. He'll get you some stolen bases when they come. But, you know, like I said, under double-digit stolen bases and homers in 433 at-bats in AAA. So just take it for what it is. Okay. Um, one of the last ones here for the Marlins, they've actually played him almost every day since getting called up. Brian Anderson, he's been playing third base for him. Got like 20 homerish pop, um, not a ton of speed, but it could be another nice little piece in what they're trying to rebuild there in Miami. Um, any any outlook on Brian Anderson? Yeah, he was, again, I'm, just, I'm Mr. Fall League here. I just, that's all I keep talking about. But he was here last year. I wasn't, that's why you're here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't, he wasn't like huge on my radar last year, but I saw a couple games of him. And I remember one of them, I was just like, I'm like, what's up with Brian Anderson? I'm like, Brian Anderson is, he looks pretty good. Like there was a game, he was, he looked better than Eloy. He's just sneaky getting hits. He's a big kid. I'm a fan. I mean, I don't know. Like, Call him like the poorest poor man's Evan Longoria. I don't think he's ever going to hit higher than 280. It could. He's got massive power. If he's like um, he's like a, a lot of the rest of these guys that have adjusted, you know, their you know get the ball in the air, stop hitting ground balls type of stuff. He might struggle in average, but he is totally like a, a four or five you know lineup hitter type of guy into the future. I just know how the Marlins are going to work him. But I, I'm a fan. I'm definitely a fan. He was a top. 150 200 top 200 prospects something like that he's not top 100 to me but it's good to see uh, them using him and how they are and last but not least he's not going to get used much i don't think this year you're seeing Wellington castillo and caleb joseph pretty much doing their thing but the orioles and surprising to me called up chance cisco who is one of the you know more talked about catching prospects he uh not a ton of power but decent average i think he's more there for his catching ability but is this just a guy that we're just going to know him by name or is he actually going to be worth something down the line? Um, that's a good question. I wonder if it's going to be by name. Um, I, I like people know about me. I kind of devalue catchers. Only two catchers made it into my top 100 for fantasy um, to start the year. And thinking about it off the top of my head, I think there's still only two, maybe three Jorge Alfaro might've jumped in there, but Carson Kelly, is a, he's a big bat who's kind of disappointed and he's been dropping down. Now he is obviously in there. Chancisco, I I undervalued coming into this season, but you know the the idea behind him was hey we're looking at like a high average guy. I mean his career in the minors since 2013 he's average hitting 211 or 311 I'm sorry, and he hit 260 in AAA this year. Low counting stats, not double digit homers, um, only a couple stolen bases, walks and strikeouts. I don't know. Like at this point, I think the catcher position has changed in fantasy to the point of you have to be comfortable taking a guy that's going to hit you 240 with 20 plus homers. Take Wellington Castillo, take Brian McCann. You know, there, there's so many less Buster Posey's out there, and there's so many more of the Schwarber, you know, the Wellington Castillo, Matt Waiters type of players. It's like Gary Sanchez, Posey, and a few others. So I don't know. I would say I'm probably not in on chance Cisco. I mean, if he's given all the at bats and he hits at a decent point in the lineup, maybe, but you know, it's not like the Orioles get a whole bunch of guys on base anyway. So I, I don't, I'm not super, super hopeful. 
Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask about him because you know he's the he's been kind of the buzz in their system for a while catching wise, and you just you look at all the peripherals and they're just not there. So that's why I was yeah. curious on him. Um, let's there, there's there's other call-ups, there's other call-ups that are going to be coming up. Um, just one last question: anybody else you see coming up that that that's worth noting? Um, let me think off the top of my head. We were just talking about all of these. Jake Bowers would be an interesting one in Tampa Bay if he was brought up. He surpassed uh, Casey Gillespie. Gillespie's just kind of just done and out of it. Jake Bowers would be interesting. I wouldn't expect, I mean, a lot of people want to hear like Ronald Acuna. I just don't think that's happening. He's going to the fall league. Yeah, off the top of my head, the only one that jumps out of the guys that aren't already there is him. I would have said Austin Meadows, and I had said Austin Meadows on the show, but it looks like they're going to send him to the Dominican uh, Fall League, not the AZL, um, to kind of work through. So, yeah, at the top of my head, I would go with maybe Jake Bowers. Okay. Maybe Chance Adams. Chance Adams is another one if the Yankees wanted a little bit more help, maybe. Chance is one I thought should have been up a while ago. He's yeah. kind of surprised me there, so that would make sense. Let's talk a little Arizona Rookie League. Uh, for those who don't know, it's it's basically you get drafted. They send you there to Florida for the most part. A few other little little leagues. Those are the main ones. Um, and and Chris has been able to. If you follow his Twitter handle, is it the well? She has videos from these deals that are awesome for the baseball junkies. It's great stuff. Uh, we'll just kind of quick hit some of these that you've seen and liked. And if there's some that aren't listed here, just give it to us because you have your your peripherals that you you see out there and enjoy them. But we'll start with Mackenzie Gore, the um, sec or the third overall pick to the Padres. What were your thoughts on him? Boy, Mackenzie is uh, super impressive. So, uh, and actually, people people want to be on the lookout for it pretty soon. Here, I'm actually penning an article, and I don't do a lot of writing, but for some reason, I mean, the Intel like prospects are my I just love. I cover all sports, but prospect baseball stuff is just my absolute passion. And uh, I'm writing an article right now on the top five prospects for the Arizona Fall League or from the AZL, plus some other like highlighted guys. And Mackenzie Gore is number one, probably to no surprise to anybody. I've been out to two games and I've been around Mackenzie three other times. And I've seen really interesting stuff happen with him. I was there the first game that uh, after he had, um, you know, he had signed and everything like that, he got sent down. He was just sitting in the stands and a scout was there and I was standing right next to him. I've seen him have to, well, you got to love about the AZL, uh, this rookie league ball is they make players go fetch foul balls. And I've seen McKenzie Gore on foul ball duty and he doesn't look happy about it. And it's pretty funny. What I would tell you about McKenzie Gore is he's confident, borderline cocky. He's got the best stuff in the AZL that I've seen. And frankly, looking back to last year in the Arizona Fall League, seeing guys like James Caprillion and, well, I shouldn't say Honeywell and Kopech are another story. Outside of Honeywell, Honeywell and Kopech, he's probably the best pitcher that I've seen in person over the last year. His fastball pisses everybody off. Nobody can get it. He, pins point, he pinpoints it. He gets it flat occasionally, and he's gotten a hit. So he gets frustrated when he gets hit, and he kind of loses it. He did. If you go look on this one tweet, I think you probably remember it. He had this really weird thing. He gave up, um, uh, he gave up a triple and a double, and there was a run or two that came in. And then he got the ball, and like he threw a pitch. And they gave it back to him, and he just like threw it away while the game was still in play. And then the guy on third just ran in, and everyone was yelling at him, and he's like, ah, it's my bad. So he got a little brain farty on that type of stuff. But his off-speed, unhittable. His fastball's unhittable when he keeps it live. He kind of loses it. He's a top-five fantasy pitcher already for me. He's the top-five overall fantasy uh, starting pitcher for me, top-30 player. 
I think he's going to be phenomenal. I think he's going to move up their system uh, pretty aggressively. And I was happy to have seen multiple starts of his. And I mean, next year, 2018 rookie um, dynasty drafts that you guys are doing, you should con- he should be the top three pick. There's no reason he shouldn't go in the top three. Like, don't get so concerned about Brendan McKay. And I'm taking him over Hunter Green. So I, I'm all about McKenzie Gore. That answered my next question. I was going to ask your opinion between him and Green. So that's what I thought because I do pay attention to you and listen to your stuff. But that was my question. Yeah, people look at seven starts at buck 27 ERA, 14.3 K per nine. That's ridiculous. I know it's it's rookie league, but that's still – he's not even 20 yet. Yeah, and there's, there's some half-decent hitters. I was at the game where he hit his season high seven strikeouts. That was the – actually, Periscope, the first two innings. So they're probably still up there. If people want to go my check out my Twitter handle, is it the Welsh? I periscoped those two innings and then I put out some other video, one of which the best one of it. And this is just, and not that he's a good hitter, but um, he made uh, a Nick Ahmed who was rehabbing for the diamondbacks look dumb. Like Nick Ahmed swung at just the most ridiculous pitch. He did walk him before that. So I don't know. I think McKenzie, he's learned a whole bunch next year because no one's talking about ACL really, except like me and a few other people next year. Everyone's gonna be talking about McKenzie Gore. If he gets past some of the, the weird frustration things when he gives up hits, he's just going to light it up. He's a good fielder. I don't know, man. I mean, two, three years from now, everyone is going to just be like, I feel like McKenzie Gore is going to get treated how like a Kopech does, or two years ago, how people treated Lucas Giolito. He's going to be a top 10 prospect and it's only a matter of time. Probably in 2019, I would say he's going to be the number one fantasy baseball uh, pitching prospect in, in the land. That's outstanding to hear. Um, you mentioned some of these. Well, I'm hoping to see him at high A next year when he comes into San Jose with the Padres team. That would be yeah. outstanding. Great. So I'd like to add him to the list. But I'm not going to name everybody out because I really want to get into the Fall League stuff. But let's just – a few guys like Austin Beck, who you were really high on, Nick Prado. What batters or hitters have you seen down there that you've just been overly impressed with? Sure, I'll tell you some guys. So um, the person I'm the most high on – going in and, and still after, even though results is Nick Prado, love Nick Prado. I was very excited. And I got to talk with him. He is, he's a good dude. He is really cool. And he was really funny because in the circumstance I was kind of with him, like I wasn't really expecting to sit down and talk. And then he just started talking. He was just like, man, he's like, I'm getting wood on everything. I'm just not getting hits. And I'm like, dude, your swing, his swing, the hands down the best, um, just full, you know, setup that I've seen out here. It's a natural, smooth swing. He's a big dude. Beautiful. I'm six foot four, and he was just right eye level to me. He, it's so funny when you see some of these guys that are just like they're like men. And I'm, you know, I'm like in my thirties, and it's really depressing when you're standing next to like Adonis, like kids that are six foot four, just chiseled, and you know they're just going to be superstars. I love Nick Prado. That's my favorite. Um, Austin Beck is interesting. He's also a really nice guy. I was at his very, very first professional game and I went out and put some video and, um, you you forget about this. This is another thing. If you ever go out to AZL or GCL, like this is the first time usually these kids are away from their family. So I got, for whatever reason, I got all these families following me now and on it, like Gore family, uh, the Becks, because I could put out some of their first pictures. And I talked to Austin after the first game as well. And much like Nick, he was really, really nice. He was a little just kind of stressed because he was like, this is the first time I've bat in like almost two months. He was very overwhelmed here. So I would say um, Austin Beck, he dropped for me based on it, but I still like him. Uh, And I'll just rattle through a couple others. 
Joe Adele I saw um, from the Angels. He looked pretty good. Helio Ramos was probably the biggest riser to me out of anybody on um, in the AZL as far as like, you know, if you're taking, you know, the high end of drafting, like, you know, in the top 100, more valuable than a player out in the 400s, moving up to the 300s. Helio Ramos is a beast. He is a, he's crazy. He's got good speed. He lit up down here. I think he's going to be a future superstar. People compared him to Cespedes and I totally buy it for sure. And then the only other two I just want to throw out that aren't on this list that people should know, some already know about, but the the game I told you where uh, I saw McKenzie Gore for the first time, that was the final game Michael Baez pitched. And this was before mm-hmm. the world got excited about Baez, and Baez was killing everybody. It was the se- He's the second-best pitcher I've seen uh, outside of Gore. Struck out Prado. So Michael Baez is on it. And then Estruy Ruiz, who was traded from the Royals to the Padres, He's a monster. He's been stealing bases. He's been hitting. He's, I think he's over 350 average. He is a guy that has jumped way on radars this year. And um, he's a legit bat. There's a whole bunch of others, but Asturi Ruiz, he makes it in my top five prospect article that I'm writing that um, I don't know when people are listening to this. It'll be out in a day or two at inthisleague.com. I'm looking forward to that. And again, follow him uh, whilst on Twitter and listen to his old prospect ones. He goes deep into the fall league stuff he sees. It's it's really informative, really, really good stuff there. So check that out. Um, But the most important thing I want to talk about, no offense to the rest, was the Arizona fall league because as I've slowly in the last couple of years gotten into prospects, I've enjoyed following the fall league and then where it kind of splits off from there. It's kind of the closest thing we're going to get to a futures game, but for like, 30 games or something. So you actually get to watch them develop and not just, you know, on a highlight all-star game. It's really cool for those don't, don't know. It's like six, there's six teams in the league comprised of different major league teams throughout Arizona. And each team. You're going to come out here. It's still up in the air. The plan is it's like, no excuses. You're in California. You can, you can drive down here. Come on down. We'll go see a game. Yeah, I know. I really, really want to trust me. It's it's on the list. Um, But a couple of just starter questions. Is there a max or a minimum for teams to send players down there? Um, Yeah, I think the teams are set. You know, I think I might have been reporting five, but I think it's six. I don't know. It's five or six players. I'm losing off the top of my head because here's the other thing. They also can send what they call taxi squad players where there's an injury or something. These guys are set out there last year. The Mets did it with this guy, Champ Stewart. And the reason he was there was because of Tebow. Because Tebow was in the Arizona Fall League last year. And I didn't realize this when it first started. I was like, why is Tebow never here on Saturday? This is annoying. It's because he was doing the SEC stuff. So I didn't realize that. So he was out here. So the teams can send out these taxi squad players. The only rule is I think they can't start more than seven games. And then it goes into a violation. So you'll see about five to six prospects from each team that they send out here. They've got to be, they put these qualifications on it, but it's supposed to be double A AA or triple A. They have to have hit that level, except they then get exemptions. There's like a international exemption and there's a couple others at the end of the day. There's really no necessarily true rhyme or reason, but what we see out here are tons of relief pitchers, guys that are um, that miss time during the season that might have been single A or double A so they can get some more reps and guys that are close to the majors like we saw last year with, you know, players like uh, Barreto, Cody Bellinger, Kopech, Brent Honeywell, stuff like that. Okay, that's a good, good breakdown there. I already know which roster you're excited about and I'm pretty close to it, but let's just let's just get at it. 
the Mesa team. Um, first off, you get an amazing minor league ball or spring training ballpark to go visit, um, yeah. Wrigley Jr., which is outstanding. I love but, that place. I freaking love that place. That's oh, why yeah. I saw Austin back out here. Yeah, I went was it two years ago. We went there and watched the Giants play, sat in the Budweiser Lounge in left field, and it's a good time. It's Very nice. good time. Um, but just for those that don't know, they have an outfield with Kyle Tucker and Victor Robles in it. How often are you going to go watch these guys play? So I've got, if people are into it, I mean, these guys are going to be major top. The, the two big teams for me are Mesa and Peoria. I've made a schedule out. I'm going to be out probably not at these guys, but I'm probably going to be out at Peoria's first practice on October 8th, which is a Sunday. And then I'm going to be out at the first game on the 10th, which I think is also going to see Peoria. And then the following week, I'm taking the whole week and I'll be out in a, at an Arizona Fall League game each day. I plan to hit minimally each team twice just during that time, just up until October 20th. So I have should have seen it minimal each team twice. This is totally one of the teams. You know, their depth is a little squishy. You know, it's like, I don't know how I love it. We I did a breakdown at Prospect One as well with James Anderson. We were kind of talking about these teams. There's some dudes. Victor Robles and Cal Tucker are the guys, but I mean, I'm I'm pretty jacked to come see them. Yeah. Um, looking at that Peoria offense you're talking about, just off the top of my head, name that's down, you get Alex Jackson catching, which I don't know how they landed that, but that might be a steal. You got like um, Lourdes Gurriel from Toronto. You got Josh Naylor. Acuna, of course, is the prized possession of most of the fall yeah. league. Um, and then you have like Kyle Lewis in the outfield. There's a lot to like on these. And these are like Michael Chavis from Boston. Yeah, love. There's a lot of players that are going to come onto the scene. So, yeah, you pick two really good teams. But like Henry Owens, that's a name that surprises me to be going back to the fall league. But is it because he struggled so much this year? It's, let's figure him out. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I'm trying to see how many he put up. Put up 137 innings. I mean, I think what this is, hmm, he started last year. I wonder what he's going to – he'll be one I'll be watching on because I wouldn't be shocked if he is out here just doing some short stints on the bullpen, especially if, if Boston has decided, hey, we think we might move him to the bullpen. We might see him out here in just short stints. A lot of starting pitchers did that last year. David Polina, Francis Martez, those guys were you know pitching in kind of you know short incremental uh, games. He's definitely a guy, but it doesn't shock me, especially. I mean, you'll see a lot of 24 and 25 year olds that are still sitting out here. These are, you know, we, we've got to figure out where we're going to put these guys. We're going to test them at different things. They don't just do it to, you know, guys like Francisco Mejia. They're going to experiment on the top end. And, and, and they call this a finishing school. For a guy like Henry Owens, it actually might be more important than anybody because they may look at Henry Owens and say, well, listen, we got to figure this out. Dude's 25 years old. He has been a questionable reliever, questionable starting pitcher. This could be the determination where we see him next year and if we see him. And sometimes they're trade bait. I've actually, there were a couple guys that were traded in the middle of the Arizona Fall League when it got to like the winter meetings. So you might see that as well. But yeah, this team, this Peoria team, and this is why I'm going to their first practice. This is why I'm going to them the first game. Tuki Tassant is pitching. I'm very excited to see him. They got Brian Johnson, Max Freed, who we talked about earlier, Chavis, uh, Austin Riley, Luis Urias. It is, this is the most stacked team in the Arizona Fall League. I absolutely, I absolutely love that roster. Yeah. I'm very envious of all of this. But um, you mentioned a couple pitchers there. What are, like, what's the top you know, couple guys you're, you're looking to go see besides Toussaint, I guess? Um, the top two guys are Mitch Keller. Mitch Keller is the number, he's the best 
pitcher fantasy prospect that's out here. He's still in my top 100. I don't think I have a single other pitcher that's in my top 100 that's out here in the fall league, but Sandy Alcantara, who we talked about. Alcantara, mm-hmm. I expect to full-on be starting unless they want to monitor his innings, or he might only come out and pitch like four or five games, and then they'll put him in relief or something like that. I could very well see that. But Mitch Keller is the big, big dog, and Sandy Alcantara. And then, you know, there's a couple others. Like we said, Dylan Tate with the Yankees is out here. I'm excited about him. I mentioned Freed, Tuki Toussaint, uh, Justice Sheffield with the Yankees. Those are those are probably the big list. I, I kind of, in the very beginning, I kind of pined about like, eh, I'm like, pitching is kind of questionable here. But the more I look at it, probably actually better than last year you know i mean we had kopech and brent honeywell last year which spoiled us but after that it was like james caprillian and you know just some dudes just some dudes martez yeah. i guess but see that that's the cool part you just said just some dudes and if people forget everyone goes oh yeah cody bellinger was there last year but when cody bellinger showed up no one thought about cody bellinger the way they think about cody bellinger now so that's what makes that's what makes this really really cool from a guy like i said from my standpoint your standpoint you get to actually see these kids develop and by the end of it you know Gleyber Torres crushed it last year but you expected him to do that but then you had the other guys like you said Brian Anderson I'm looking at the 2016 leaders he led the fall league in home runs you had Bradley Zimmer you had all these guys there that were already prospects obviously but blossomed a lot of guys are getting called up Greg Allen was just called up love seeing him Ryan O'Hearn with the Royals he put up a lot of catchers Mitch Garvey who was just called up you're absolutely right and and just to throw this out I said this on the, uh, the show the most recent prospect one but I kind of speculate that maybe Michael Chavis will be this year's Cody Bellinger, not the same value. Like he's not going to be, you know, first round pick in 2019 or anything like that. But I'm just saying from how people perceive to where we walk into 2018, I think if Chavis has a good fall league, it's going to be to that level where people are like, wow, Chavis is needs to be on everybody's radar. Cause he's big time on mine. Just hit his 30th homer. I think so. Yeah. I, I really want to see how he does in this, this, crop of players super talented and yeah. you know boston's gonna have some openings here or there coming up so um i got i think i was yeah we, i think we were talking to that guy about moving devers around and shave us a third and different options so i think they'll i think he'll play first that's gonna be my guess they, they've got a lot of first basemen though because that team Makes has sense. austin riley who's a third baseman josh naylor who's a first baseman but could dh i think this is just my speculation. I think I'm going to see Chavis more at first base than I am at third because I think they're going to most likely want to keep Devers at third. So that would be something if people are on the lookout for in the Arizona Fall League, kind of peep that and check to see if he's playing first base because that could be the sign he's closer to the majors. But even more than anything, I speculate he might be a trade piece more than anything. He might be a big offseason trade piece where they go get um, probably some more starting pitching help. Just a guess. Okay, just a couple quick hitters here and we'll wrap her up. Sure. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure the Fall Stars games on MLB Network. Is there any other? Do they do any more programming on that, or is it just that's it? Um, no, that's usually it, as far as I can remember. The Fall Stars game gets um, gets lots of coverage. We had fun with that last year because I was with the whole the whole crew, Eno and Paul, and we were right like where you could see. So we had guys like circling us on the TV and sending us screenshots. And we played this game called the the Paul it's Paul Spores uh, um, oh, Paul Stars, where we draft. It's like a DFS game where we drafted two players apiece and I won it last year. No big deal. And I won it with Barreto and Willie Calhoun and they won it for me. So we like to play those, but that's the one that gets like players. We, we, I mean, me and Spore walking around. I'm like, Hey dude, look, it's Orlando Hudson. And he's like, I got to take a picture, you know? So there's like players around. It's the one game that the place is packed. So it's the only one that they really cover. 
you know, no, I shouldn't say that. They'll probably, they might also broadcast the championship game, but that might be on MLB Network or MLB.com. They'll do that. But there's a couple events, Bowman All-Stars and stuff like that. But All-Stars and the championship game are your best luck to get televised stuff. Unless, you know, I might be periscoping some stuff like that. You can look for people putting out, you know, content like that. Um, what recommendations do you have for first timers going to these uh, fall league? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, it's it, it depends. I guess it depends your motive of of what you want to do. You just want to go have fun. You want to chill. I mean, just have a great time. The coolest thing is it's like eight bucks to get into a game. Sit wherever you want. It's just like the AZL League. There are no assigned seats. You can sit up at the front. You can move around. There's probably no more than. I don't know, 200 people, 300 people at a game. I've been to some where they felt like there's 75. I've been to some where there's 500. And then the, you know, the fall stars is packed to the maximum. So if you just want to go have fun, just, you know, you can get some beer, hot dog, you can chill and hang out. If you want to scout, I mean, you could try to apply for a press pass if you have any type of thing and you can get in before and you can interview players. If you get there really, really early, you've got an opportunity to be one of two people. If you want to, you know, catch a player, get an interview or something like that, you want to get there right when the gates open, do that. If you like autographs, same thing. That's a great opportunity. They're finishing up batting practice. Um, you can catch them. Usually the guys are just really nice and really chill and everyone's just having a good time. Those guys are there. Towards the end, some of the guys get worn out. So for me personally, I'm a guy, I want to get there early. I want to get there right when the gates open. I want to check out what's going on. If I can catch players, talk to them, that's great. You can also go see the practices on the backfields beforehand. And the games are now a half an hour earlier. They were 105 last year. They're 1235. There's really not a lot of advice I could give outside. And, and you know, truly, unless you plan to like do some full-on scouting, hey, bring a bag, bring your camera, sit up wherever you want. Um, you can catch players. You can get really cool interactions. I brought uh, my co-host at InThisLeague.com, Scott Bogman, and I, we recorded an episode out in left field last year. I brought in my bag. I just brought my recorder and a couple right. mics. We sat on the grass. We started recording Baltimore Orioles outfielder. DJ Stewart was there, and he was kind of giving us some what's up because he was trying, trying to check out what we were doing. So you can bring equipment. You can do all that. You can get autographs. They've got food. Just have a blast. It's a really cheap way to go have some fun. Nice, nice. Um, do you do you? Uh, I, obviously, this is in your backyard, so it's easier for you. Do, do you pay as much attention like Dominican, Mexican, the other winter winter fall leagues? Yeah, I tried to um, last year. Ronald Acuna, if, if people were paying attention in the Dominican Fall League, I think he made the Dominican Fall League All Star game, and he was one of the best hitters out there. So shocker, he did it here this year. Um, it's funny in the Dominican Fall League that Jong Hogong, who has not been able to come stateside. He's going to be in there. Austin Meadows will. I definitely do. Um, I, I, I've done a bad job paying enough attention to like if we move it to the GCL. Try to pay enough attention about the GCL. It's been more about Kevin Maiton for me this year. And I try to pay attention to some of the Dominican stuff. But I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a little biased. I'm heavy into AZL and Arizona Fall League stuff. But, you know, I mean, part of what I do, I just have to be dialed into everything. And there's so many damn leagues. It's so interesting that baseball really never ends. In Arizona... It never ends. The only time you get a break is between late November to like January. That's about it. Otherwise, there are practices, AZL, there's extended spring training. It's always going on. So there's little break, but, and there's just so many players. You got to be dialed into it. But, you know, you kind of said before, uh, Arizona Fall League is the opportunity to get closer to the major guys. It's kind of like a little like all star type of game. 
Yeah, I already told my wife a while back because she loves going to spring training with me. I said, well, it's okay because when we retire, we'll move to Scottsdale and yeah. I can do baseball year round. You can do whatever you want. Come, so, yeah, come move to my area. I've got I've got three of the parks right in my my uh, my backyard. Essentially, I've got the Reds, Indians, Dodgers, White Sox, and then I've got the um, the Surprise Stadium, which is the Royals and the Rangers. They're all within about fifteen minutes, so I get to that's why I get to double dip and I get to do. There's a couple there's a couple really good talented people out here in Arizona. Some photographers, uh, Fangraphs, Eric Longenhagen, a couple other guys are all out here, and you know, just on a nightly basis, can just go and jump out, and you can catch you can catch a couple games in a given day. It's it's amazing. That's why I love it down there. It's so much better than Florida. You can literally, if you're in Scottsdale, I think the farthest stadium is like 35 minutes. Yeah, you, so you can get. You can I can get to any single stadium where, and I live in the way West Valley. I live over by where the Indians and Reds are. I can get to any single single stadium in about 35 minutes. That's about right. 35 minutes, any park I want. That's outstanding. Well. I appreciate you joining me today. I have a million more questions to ask you, which we'll have to do some other time. I think maybe when the fall league's over, we'll get a recap and we'll chat about that or something. But um, Chris, thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it. Hey, glad to do it anytime. Hit me up on the fall league. Glad to do stuff. Love doing this stuff. And uh, I'm sorry to everyone that had to see my face and all this. And I'm so sorry. <laughs> Just listen to me on shows. Don't watch me. So yeah, I tell you. I tell people I got a face for radio, but guys, check them out on Twitter at is it the Welsh in this league.com, the podcast, FNTSY, all of it. Go check them out. Really, really good stuff. Again, Chris, thanks for joining. Absolutely, my friend. Peace. See ya. This was Bench with Bubba, episode 54. We'll catch you guys later.